coming to you live from this final Temperature Tuesday of 2021. Ah, oh, disappointing. <laughs> and it was 25 cents today. <laughs> yeah, compared to the past few weeks. Freaking expensive, man. Yeah, gosh. God. That cost me an extra quarter. No, Renzo, give me money. Shoot. <laughs> nah, but we're coming to you. This is the NBNR podcast. No block, no rock. You can find us on Twitter at NBNR Podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts. Please like, subscribe, and give us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. Okay. Um, first, we want to say thank you to the 100-plus followers that we have on Twitter now. Yes. Yeah, we finally hit the 100 mark. The century mark? you got to start somewhere, baby. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. All right, let's do a little rundown of what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about... Luke McCaffrey to Louisville. We're going to talk about Jason Peter and uh, Jay Foreman coming in to volunteer on our coaching staff. We're going to talk a little bit about how far Chin Anders' defense could take Nebraska, you know, assuming that they play well. We'll talk a little bit about, you know, incoming uh, transfers, just some, some guys that we're looking out for that aren't recruits, guys that have been on the roster so some overlooked guys that might contribute this year. And I think that'll be it, right? Yeah, it's been a pretty quiet week again. I yeah. mean, to be expected. Um, I mean, they did extend the dead period. I don't, we, I don't think we touched on that last week, but that no. is miserable, and that really hurts these high schoolers and recruits. Yeah, and you know, they do this, the NCAA, and they're not thinking – a few years down the road where all these recruits are going to want out of the schools that they committed to, and they're going to want to transfer. It's just going to be a whole nother mess that's going to be ten times what it is now, I think. Unless they change a rule and say, no more transfers ever, this is going to be freaking hell for them. Well, and then you got the one-time transfer rule that's going in that is going to open the door for this. Yeah, well, we know that COVID's thrown a whole wrench into you know, transfers and all that. But speaking of, let's talk about Luke McCaffrey to Louisville. You guys riff on it. What do you think? Luke McCaffrey to Louisville. Okay, so it's kind of head-scratching to me because Louisville, although they didn't have a great record last year, and there's one thing to, re- uh, to reiterate is they didn't have a good record, so he's going to a losing team. Yeah, they were 4-7? and seven Yeah, 4-7. and seven. Yeah, 4-7 yeah, and seven last year. Okay. But he's also coming into a situation that's very similar to Nebraska. Uh, Louisville has a quarterback named Malik Cunningham, and he's a junior, right? Okay. Uh, last season, he threw for 20 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, which I would say is better than Adrian. I mean, I don't need to check the stats right now, but probably better than Adrian. I don't think Adrian threw 20 touchdown passes. I would have taken 20 for right? And then in the previous year, if you really look at Malik Cunningham's numbers, the guy threw 22 touchdowns and only five interceptions the, the year prior. Wow. Um, coming off a non-covered year. So, I mean, you're coming into, in my opinion, a worse quarterback situation. Uh, I mean, maybe he's getting overlapped and maybe Smothers is going to do something. I don't know. But it's just one of those things. It's like, why? Why are you leaving a program where you are the ideal backup quarterback, where they're letting you be a Taysom Hill, yeah. switch knife kind of guy, but – now you're going to almost the same situation. Um, what else do you guys think about that? 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what Louisville, you know, if they made him a promise, maybe, you know, maybe they're made an irrational promise. I personally don't know. I don't see it. Eric, what do you think? He was very adamant here about playing quarterback, so I kind of guess Louisville told him, yeah, he can play QB, come aboard. But like you said, Mike, like they have a two-year starter already. I don't know what, like, is he going to be in the same role? I thought he'd go to Northern Colorado. Oh, with his dad and brother are already there, but he's carving his own path. And so, and so, I mean, I wish him the best of luck, obviously. Yeah, we kind of made fun of him, you know, a couple weeks ago. You know, he's going to go to Northern Colorado with his dad, with his pops. I don't know. Um, well, and then are, Dylan are they, goes there. Yeah. Are they... Is Louisville doing this for the clout? The yeah. Ma- the McCaffrey, McCaffrey name? name? Maybe. All right, let's touch one more thing on Louisville, though. Think about a quarterback they had in the past okay. that could throw pretty well for a running back. Shut up. Ended up uh, striking a pose and uh, taking okay. a Heisman Trophy. Okay, yeah, so Just don't say running back. I hate, I, mean, I hate you. He throws pretty good for running back. We're talking about Lamar Jackson, one of the most electric players in college football history. That's what I like. Won a NFL MVP. That's, that's the guy is a – I mean, he was amazing to watch. So maybe they see a little bit of that in him. I don't ever see that. I don't think I ever will, even if somehow he is a quarterback for them. I just – I don't see it. But you know what? Whatever. Yeah, I think I think we kind of maxed out on Luke. Yeah, I mean, bye, Luke. Wish you the best. Oh, well. All right, let's talk about uh, Jay Foreman and Jason Peter, uh, two former – National championship guys from the 90s. Black shirts. The black shirts. You got um, Jason Peter. Apparently, he's going to be like a weight room dictator. I don't know what he's going to be. Well, you know. You're a hype man. Get your butt down. <laughs> Back straight. You guys squat before? Well, not under Mike Riley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, guys. Supposedly. Uh, <laughs> you just go ahead and lift anytime you like it. Uh, I'll be here if you need me. Yeah, I know. He's no longer here. You have a little tummy ache. Okay. <laughs> so you get sprinkles today. <laughs> oh my God. Jay Foreman. Oh, I don't know. I, I heard he's going to be like a just a player development guy. Well, I thought he was going to work with the defense a little bit is what I was hearing. Well, they're both supposed to work with kind think. of their respected groups too. So it's almost like – you're not allowed to coach, and they're not analysts. I don't know. They're yeah. kind of in a weird position. I mean, another title where it's like, what happens behind closed doors? We don't know. But it is kind of weird where it's like, what can these guys do for you? I mean, these are former players, former, yeah. like, I mean, very elite successful. players, very successful players. Both the guys went and played in the NFL. Yeah. Then uh, um, Jay Foreman had a, a pretty nice career, you know, played for the Bills. Um yeah, he had like, I don't know, almost 300 tackles in the NFL. So, hey, I think that's a guy that you can use as, as an example of, hey, if you, if you play well and you do what you're supposed to do, you can go to the NFL like me, you know? So one question or I have. Or won a national championship. What's your question? So one question I have is, do you think a kid in today's era can relate to a guy back from the 90s? Let me say this. Here's what I hope doesn't happen. Okay. I hope that some kid that we recruit sees Jason Peter in the weight room. Jason Peter tries to tell him something, and he goes, "You're ass. You ass. Oh, you, you don't even play. <laughs> what? You played what? Thirty years ago? Who are you? Huh? 
Just like that kid did to Cam. Cam Newton this week. Yeah. That's what I hope doesn't happen. I hope, like, that would be so... And, well, you know, they kind of could do that. Hey, anything for TikTok, man. These freaking kids, we'll see. Oh, gosh. <laughs> A couple things. Um, the kid that says that to Jason Peter is going to regret it. And secondly, I saw the video of Cam and the kid, and all the kid is saying is, like, you're a free agent, like, tw- like 12 times. I'm rich. I'm rich. Like, yes, he's a free agent. I don't, like... No, but he's like, you ass! You ass! <laughs> like, goddamn, dude. I'm rich. I mean, yeah. yeah, he is rich. He is rich. He has a Heisman, has a national championship, has an NFL MVP, you know, MBD. Yeah, uh, I mean, elite player. I mean, he is an elite player. Maybe not anymore, but the guy's an elite player and deserves respect. And I think if you look at the college game, I think Jason should deserve that respect as well, especially when uh, he is going to be working under, uh, you know, his former quarterback. So, yeah. Um, you know, and it's just the guys who are in the program and they want to listen, they're going to listen. The guys that are in the program and they don't want to listen, they, they're not going to listen to anybody anyway. So I just, I don't think this is a bad thing at all. You know, there's a part of me that kind of wants Nebraska to just kind of, I don't want to say leave it in the past. But it's just like, can we kind of move on from the '90s? Can we do it? I I get that I get that it's our glory years, and there's lessons to be gleaned from what you've done in the past. We we just need to move on, and it's almost it's like a crutch that we use, like the sellout streak is like, oh, we can't do this, or else we're gonna lose a sellout streak. Well, who gives a who about the sellout streak? Let's just get some dubs, please. Yeah, I'm it's like a crutch. Yeah. It's just a. It's like a burden that we have that we just can't move past. And I know that our head coach is kind of a 90s guy, so we just have to embrace his teammates. You know, and these are two of the most outspoken dudes, Jay Foreman and Jason Peter. Like, these guys are like regular media, like radio, big red wrap-up dudes who they said their piece about Nebraska before, and it's like, okay, you know what, guys? You've talked about everything that's wrong with this program. Here's your chance to make an impact. So you know what? If we continue to suck, even when you guys are there, you know, what What else can you say? You know, this is your chance to come in and make your impact. So let's go. Let's do it. My entire thought this whole time with the, the Peter and Foreman thing is just, it's just another way of clinging, digging into the past. Can't yeah. let it go. And when I say that the past is the biggest issue like in a way it's things like this like you're just grasping onto things and hoping it worked because it worked in the past yeah so there's more ways to win than how you did it in the 90s here's my thing you gotta move on at some point don't we yeah and hopefully uh jay and jason they won't be yes men hopefully they'll be like okay this is what i'm seeing um Maybe they'll be more confrontational with things that aren't going right in the program. And they can, maybe these are like the outside guys that, you know, they're not being paid, but they can make observations about what's going on and they can bring it to Scott's attention and be like, hey, dude, this is part of the problem right here. You got to fix this. You're, you got to be our CEO and you got to address this problem and this problem. This is why you're, you've been four and eight and three and whatever. So, so maybe 
going into back to this the C word culture. Mm. Um, you know, we we talked a lot about how we thought the Nebraska defense really had kind of that that swagger, that culture. We felt like it was kind of meshing together well at the end of the year. Yeah. And so maybe getting a couple guys in there that had some good culture in the past um, and they know what it takes to be a black shirt and wear that, you know, that black jersey um, in practice and whatnot. That pride. Yeah, that pride thing. Um, Maybe it's a good thing, and maybe that's something that could carry over to the offense. Yeah, and it's like you said, our defense last year, they they stepped up, man. They showed up most every week with – you know, the exception, Illinois, for sure, was an exception. Um, the defensive line was a highlight of the year. And so it's like, you know, Jason Peter, of course, former defensive lineman. Jay Foreman, former linebacker. And it's like, the defense wasn't the, it wasn't the problem. The defense wasn't the problem. It was far from it. And I get that these two guys probably aren't going to be your defensive-focused guys, but... I don't know. The defense played well. It's our freaking offense, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you know, here's something that came to mind too. So if you think about Barrett Root, right, all-time leading tackles leader in Nebraska football history, mm-hmm. do you think Jay Foreman has more credentials to be a, a linebackers coach than Barrett? Just throwing that out there. I just thought of that. <laughs> I mean, the only difference is that you know Jay did win a few a few natties here, so yeah. you know he's he's got some credibility. But yeah, you're right. I mean. Barrett's already there. Yeah, so. that's what I'm saying. It's like if you're going to take a peek back in the past, you already have one guy in there in Barrett Rude. So I don't know. I mean, I think it can only help. But speaking of defense, I think it's probably a good time to talk about the defense. Can it carry us? Do you think Coach Chin can take that next step and maybe make this a top defense in the Big Ten? Well, last year, you know, in the shortened season, they ranked 50th in total defense. Um, like t- total defensive yards given up, they ranked 50th. And so, like we were saying, that was the bright spot of last year. And we had a losing record, right? And so I think it's unreasonable to expect a top 20 defense from Chinander. So the, def- the defense did enough last year to put our, f- our offense in position to win us games. And so I think as long as our defense can get us within a top 50 defense and that goes along with an offense that doesn't turn the ball over three times a game, I think a top 50 defense is enough for, you know, I hate to say a nine-win team. But as long as our offense holds up their end of the bargain, I think a chin-ander defense like we saw last year is good enough to put up dubs, Well, in my opinion. I think they have to do a little better than 50. I think okay. I think with that defense being that backbone that we think they're going to be, I think they have to be in those 30 to 40 range. I mean, they, ha- I mean, they have to because the offense still hasn't proven again and again that they can get it done. And obviously, Adrian's our guy. I mean, there is no more Luke. Um, we've, that ship has sailed. So... I, I think they have to – the defense, although they were good, they had room to improve, and I think they have to take that step forward. Okay. Now, I have to say this. 
when Chinander came here, you had, I, I would say probably the majority of fans going like, why is he bringing Chinander here? The defenses that he's going to bring aren't going to be good enough. And so a lot of people were questioning the Chinander hire. And they even said, like coming in, um, the expectation was that a Chinander defense was never going to be one of those top defenses. It was always about the offense. And Chinander has done enough, in my opinion. And I know it's not, it's not a huge sample, mind you. But coming in, the whole narrative was, Chinander's defense isn't going to be a top 20. But as long as our offense does its thing, like it's, it's a fine enough hire. Because remember, Frost is this uh, whiz kid, right? Whiz kid offensive mind, offensive genius. He is? <laughs> Suppose you laugh, I cry. <laughs> but I just want to say, coming in, the narrative was never a top 20 chin inner defense. It was always, hey, let's keep it 50-ish. And our offense is going to be freaking turbo up and down the field, 50 points a game. We always talk about Alabama. I know. Last year, they were 32nd in total defense. And they won the national championship. I think a top 50 defense is enough to win you at least the Big Ten West, for God's sake. And that's all I'm asking for is a Big Ten West. Top 50 defense is enough to get you that. I think that's all we ever ask for is just win the fucking West. Win the West. Just win it. Just win the West. Top, don't 50 worry about it. top 50 defense can do that. You at your initial question was about Shenander's defense. How far can they take us? If they play like they did last year, you can win the West easily. Now it's on freaking Scott and Adrian to not put the ball on the freaking turf wow. two or three times a game. <laughs> Eric, do you have any thoughts on this? A couple things. Um, <laughs> the defense is going to keep us in almost every game next year, sans, like, you know, Oklahoma and Ohio State, because that's just, you know, talent levels. But, you Jimmy know, it ain't much, like, in the other conference games against, you know, the normal teams. Uh, the defense will keep us in pretty much every game. And my concern about the defense is the big thing about it was turnovers. It's going to force a lot of turnovers and give the ball back to the offense. But do they really force enough? I haven't seen enough. I mean, they force turnovers, and some of them are at key times and crucial times, but Mm -hmm. they don't do it consistently enough through, like, all four quarters or every week. So Yeah. Well, and back to your turnover thing, the easiest way to force turnovers is to get some sort of pressure on a quarterback, and maybe that's where Jason Peter or Jay Foreman can help with that area, maybe help Caleb Tanner. Sure. Reach his potential. I don't know. Why not? Why not? I guess. <laughs> you but sure. you got to force turnovers. You got to have pressure on the quarterback to to make to make the next step. You know, you, you have to. And I don't know who's going to step up on the defense to to be that pass rusher. Garrett Nelson. Uh, no. Oh, not sorry. Uh, so, whoops. So, sorry, Garrett, if you're listening. I I hope the defense can continue playing like they have, and they've they had that top fifty total defense without. That edge rusher that we so desperately freaking need. So hopefully if we get an edge rusher that can help us, you know, be a better defensive team and force 
sacks and turnovers and all that good stuff. And so I don't think that pass rusher exists on this roster. But right. with the transfer portal running wild, I think that's where we could maybe find one. And that kind of leads into our next topic, okay. transfers. Again, let's... Incoming, let's, not outgoing, right? Incoming, incoming. no, we're not okay. talking about transfers we're, that way this time. We're talking about the good transfers, the, the ones yeah. that we like, because the, they're coming here. The ones that we take from other teams. Yes, yes, because, yeah, we always give other players crap for leaving, but but the ones that come here are perfect. If we love them, <laughs> they're perfect. The best, believe me. Well, so 24-7 did a, like a top transfers ranking... And supposedly Marquis Step, he was the sixth rated running back transfer. So, you know, you think you hear that and you're like the sixth best. It doesn't really sound that great. You know, but when you think of all the transfers out there, okay, you know. I think he undoubtedly improves the running back room, especially since Diedrich Mills left. So, you know, I I'll obviously take Marquis Step as a transfer, and would what do you guys think about Marquis Step coming in? What do you think? I think it's one. It's it's a proven guy. We have a just a running back room just full of nobodies. I mean, bunch of slap dicks. Yeah, we got a bunch of recruits that are top in their high school or top in their state, but once again, didn't see the field. We had a hundred sixty-five pound Wandale running between the tackles, so. Um, I mean, it's an automatic upgrade, in my opinion. The guy, despite his lack of carries at USC, I mean, he capitalized on all of his opportunities, though. I mean, the guy scored a lot. He's six foot, 235 pounds. I mean, that is exactly the type of running back you need in this Big Ten. You, that's, just, that's what you need. I mean, he is built like Diedrich, but I think, he's, I think he's got a little bit more wheels than Diedrich does. Maybe not, but... Does it say on there what his um, yards per carry was? So he's averaging about almost five yards a carry. I mean, yeah, I mean, he had 100 attempts. But, I mean, when you're averaging almost five yards a carry, I mean, you're doing pretty good. I mean, you really are. So he's got to be an instant upgrade, in my opinion, probably an instant starter. I mean, you don't come here all the way from USC to be the backup. I, I just don't see that happening. You're right. He, he should, be, should be the day one starter. Um, Eric, do you have any thoughts on Marquis Stepp? All I have to say is that he is, is a big bruiser, and that's really what you need in the league. Like Mike said, it isn't like he's coming to us for, from, like, you know, North California. Like, he's coming to us from a pretty big running back school here. You know, you had Reggie Bush, obviously, and then more recently, Ronald Jones, who just won a Super Bowl. So, I mean, yeah. Don't was, forget Lendale White. Well, we're, we're now going to talk about Huskers on the cusp. So guys who have been on the roster and that might not have shown out just yet, but guys who we hope will make an impact this year. And I guess I'll start. I th- My ideal cusp candidate would be Omar Manning. Considering how much our position, our skill position guys have struggled in Frost's offense, and the high expectations that people have had of Omar Manning. Well, the man's I, chiseled. He's literally I know. chiseled. Just chiseled, but not on the field. <laughs> He's chiseled on the sidelines or 
whatever he's not playing. So I hope he finds his chiseled self on the field so he can help. So we can help out our defense, actually. <laughs> but hey, if he doesn't play, I'm looking at the running back room, and I know we got step, but the few looks that we got on Marvin Scott, he didn't get that many looks, but I'm looking at the eye test. I'm considering the eye test. And although he's he's not a burner himself either, I'm just I'm looking at the rest of the running back room, and I see Ramir Johnson, who he's a stick. With the like, he's a like. He's he Wanda. looks. Breakable. He looks like Wanda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's he's not a big ten back. You look at nice. also Sevion Morrison, just another unproven guy. Didn't see Sevion. We saw Marvin, and I personally like what I saw from him. Marquis Steps not going to be the only running back that we use this year. Uh, so I'm I'm looking at Omar Manning. He's my he's my top he's my hopeful, but I'm also looking at Marvin Scott. On the cusp, on the rise. Okay, I mean, I think Omar, if he could ever live up to even close to the, what we thought he would do with expectations, that would be an instant upgrade at wide receiver. Yes, uh, despite Wandale leaving, but my on the cusp player, we'll say, uh, is a guy that is probably the most important player on the offensive line next to the guy that needs to snap the dang ball. Turner Corcoran, left tackle. The guy is protecting your quarterback's blind side. I mean, he's the most important player on that offensive line if this offense is going to get going. He, he shined very bright in the Rutgers game. But, yeah, I mean, I would love to see more. I can't wait to see more. And he's got the size. I mean, he had the credentials coming out of high school. The guy lived up to it. You couldn't even tell that Brandon Hymas, Mr. Bad Culture Hymas, uh, was even not even in that game against Rutgers because Turner Corcoran filled in so well, and you didn't even hear his name, which means that you're doing a great job on the offensive line. He's Yeah, he's protecting the backside of a guy who is, quite frankly, turnover prone. So I hope Turner Corcoran is a cusp. Candidate. Although he did turn the ball over, Adrian did turn the ball over like four times in that game with Turner, but I don't think they were all Turner's fault. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> when you're landing on your head to dot yeah. the football. Yeah. Cool. Eric, who, who is yours? I'm going to go to the defensive side of the ball, and guy who looked pretty good in short spurts this year, local kid, uh, Nick Henrik, that guy... He's not super fast, except his IQ is really high, and he always knows where the ball is and and how with Colin Miller just done and gone. I think Henrik is going get, to get the first shot to, to step straight in there and show what he's got. Yeah, I, I like Nick. I think he did show good spurts, especially towards the end of the year when Colin went down. I think he filled in really nicely. Absolutely. Well, considering it's late February... And it's been a relatively quiet week over in Lincoln. Did we want to touch on kind of the expectations of Fred Hoiberg versus the expectations of Scott Frost? Sure. We could touch on it. It's nothing too crazy to look into, but I I was listening to 1620 The Zone this week, and they they brought up a, a good debate that I thought would be fun to bring to this podcast is, does, does Fred get more... 
leeway or the benefit of the doubt. And is Scott on a hotter seat than Fred, despite Fred's record? And so I did a little research, and I just wanted to compare Fred, Scott, and then, of course, Tim Miles. And what I found was actually kind of surprising. So Tim Miles, his first year at Nebraska, his win percentage was about 455. So just shy of, you know, 50% of his games. And then followed with, in his second season, at a 594. So he was winning over 50% of his games. And you think... Nebraska basketball, you know, you shouldn't really have big expectations. We are the only Power 5 school to never win a tournament game. That's insane to me. And to touch on where Fred is, Fred, in his first two seasons at Nebraska, his first season he won, well, a .219, so roughly 20% of his games. Mm -hmm. And then now this year he's winning roughly 25% of his games. So – I don't know. I mean, obviously, you can say we're not a basketball school. We don't have any, we don't have any history in basketball. But I, I feel like when you go and make a splash hire like Fred Hoiberg, that that should mean something. But then if you're thinking about Scott Frost, it's the same thing. We got the two hottest guys on the market in their respected sports. Mm-hmm. I think Bill Moose actually came and, and he did exactly what he needed to do as the AD. Go get the two hottest guys in, in the market, and. Both the guys are underperforming. But I, I feel like Fred is getting more of the benefit of the doubt despite how bad his team shoots. And he should get the benefit of the doubt. And That's my argument. He yeah. should. Okay. I mean, go, go into that a little bit. Why, why does Fred get more benefit of the doubt than Scott when Scott is golden boy from Nebraska, won a natty? Scott Frost, his leash right now is a lot shorter than Fred Hoiberg's. And it should be. Like you said, Nebraska basketball has never won a tournament game ever in their, what, 100-plus years of existence. When you consider Nebraska athletics, Nebraska football is the backbone. When you look at Nebraska athletics, Nebraska basketball, it's like a kidney. You could live with one kidney. Any success that Nebraska basketball finds is just... A cherry on top, honestly. If you can have a 500 season, if you can even threaten an NCAA tournament appearance, I think that's just a cherry on top for Nebraska athletics. For Nebraska football, I mean, I don't need to say this. We have a podcast over it. It's everything. When it comes to Nebraska basketball, it's just it's just an extra. Like if they're if they're good, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice. nice. It's a nice thing. We we come over to our friend's house and we watch it, and it's just you know usually they they stink pretty bad. But if they if they win the occasional game, it's like oh cool they did that that happened. But if Nebraska loses a game, I mean we're we're pretty much apathetic to it now. But usually when Nebraska loses a game, we get freaking pissed off and we dissect every freaking every play call every quarter. What, what adjustment should they make at halftime? Nobody does that with Nebraska basketball. If anything, you know, Fred Hoiberg's first season, he was playing with a bunch of misfits. You can say that about Scott, too. I mean, there's been many times this season where Hoiberg said he's outcoached the dude on the other sideline. I don't think you could ever really say that about Scott Frost. I don't think there's really a game where you go, Scott Frost 
not only coach his ass off, but he coached better than the dude across the field from him. You know? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I think you, you could argue that Hoiberg's better at his craft than Scott is. Despite their... Record. Despite their shitty records. Yeah, I, I just don't... I don't think comparing, comparing Nebraska basketball and Nebraska football and at the expectations of each program is a fruitful discussion, in my opinion. Okay. A couple things. Um, first... Let's take a look at the end of Tim Miles' tenure, which, for all intents and purposes at Nebraska, was actually pretty good in seven years. The year he got canned, he was losing his top four scorers and had a few more grad transfers. So Ed was already coming in about seven players down anyway. And then a lot of the other kids transferred, and he had to put together a team of, like, ragtag dudes in, like, three months. And obviously, you know, it didn't work, but I guess my big thing is would Tim Miles have done any better in that same situation if he kept his job? And my other thing is if he can't do it next year with the first five-star in school history and, and most of these guys coming back, presumably, like, there's going to be a transfer to, always is, is the program just cursed? I think Nebraska fans have accepted being a bottom barrel basketball program, um, especially right now during a pandemic when you're not packing PBA full every night. Like right now, it's it's so hard to stay focused, especially after the 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 layoff of COVID or whatever. So yeah, I mean, I'm with you there. It it just I just found it interesting. And, and I would say that some of the stuff that they said on the radio is pretty similar. So this is a football and a volleyball school, mainly a volleyball school. Uh, but, I, I mean, I guess if football is the backbone, then uh, volleyball is probably the heart. <laughs> but one more thing I heard on the radio this week, which I thought was pretty interesting, is The Athletic had a podcast on ranking the Big Ten jobs, the coaching jobs here in the Big Ten. And... They had Nebraska as the 11th best job in the Big Ten. 11th best job in the Big Ten. College football. College football, yes. Okay. Yes, college football. Not, not basketball, not the, not the Nebraska ball. No, we're talking Nebraska football was ranked by these guys at The Athletic, yeah. who some of them focus on recruiting and whatnot, but they, they labeled us as the... 10th and 11th best job in the Big Ten. What are your guys' opinions on that? Because that, to me, that is, that just sounds crazy. I, uh, I certainly, you know, given recent success or lack thereof at Nebraska and certain schools, I, I wouldn't put them top five in the league, but 11th, that's a little low, like, that means that you have what, like Michigan State above them, which not just Michigan State, who else? Rutgers, yeah. Freaking uh, Rutgers. Rutgers, like, if if we're looking at like a recruiting thing, sure. New Jersey, Maryland, New York, all kind of have okay, like semi okay talent, but all those kids are going to Penn State or Ohio State or going to the South. They're not going to Rutgers. Yeah, they have Rutgers ahead of Nebraska, and they they cite the biggest reason as location. 
Okay, show me Rutgers recruiting rankings. Nope, like you said, nobody's going to Rutgers if they live in Jersey or New York. Wow. Okay, and you know, I get a lot of people, they want to put like Michigan in like the top three for top jobs. And I, look, I mean, I, I get that Michigan's the most winningest program. You could attribute that to them playing the Michigan YMCA teams back in the 1800s or whatever the F. They've been playing football for a longer time. They've won no national championships. They have the 97 shared with us, okay? But they have no other national championships besides that. I don't know. I just Michigan is just one of those schools that kind of baffles me with their high expectations. People like to give Nebraska fans shit for having high expectations. And I just look at Mich- like a job like Michigan where they're, they're turning on Harbaugh right now. He's been winning the nine games per year. He's, it's very Bo-esque, Bo Pelini-esque situation right now. Similar antics too. So I look at a job like Michigan. It's cold there, and we've all been in agreement with this. We've all been saying this. Michigan is the Nebraska of the Big Ten East. So it's baffling that they're that low, Nebraska. And I get that they've sucked. And, yeah, you do have to work harder. But they've been, for the past 15 years, had top 20 classes consistently. It's just we suck at developing. We get the dudes, it seems like, on paper – we just can't develop. Yeah, and here's the thing. It's like some of the teams that you're seeing ahead of you, like, okay, realistically, do you think Maryland is a better job than Nebraska? Come on. No. Come on. No, no. history. I mean, no tradition, no nothing. I mean, you're, I mean, everybody has that Big Ten money, but you don't have the, the booster support or anything like anything relatively close to Nebraska. Okay? And if you want to talk about recruiting-wise, sure, but they're still not pulling those guys they're similar not- to Rutgers, right? Northwestern, come on. I mean, I understand Northwestern is an up-and-coming program, but if you go to a football game at Northwestern, and when you have more Nebraska fans in the stands than your own fans, tell me how that is a better job. I mean, they're they're more academic, you know. Yeah, I mean, Northwestern's ahead of us. Iowa, whatever. I mean, sure, and still, once again, no history, no... No traditions, no nothing. Never won anything in their entire history. They put players in the NFL, Mike. Oh, okay, yeah, because that. How dare you forget but if, that? But if you're a head coach at Iowa, you're not working any harder than the coach at Nebraska to recruit. Like you're in the same freaking area of the country. So, and then we had Minnesota ahead of us once again. I mean, they have a little bit more history than Iowa, thank God. I mean, who doesn't? But that was a long time ago. It was a long, long time ago. Even longer, longer ago than us. And so these guys in the, in the podcast, according to the guys that I was listening to on the radio, they kind of dive into like your recruiting regions and whatnot. And when you have teams like that ahead of Nebraska, who is out recruiting the West every single year, I, I just I don't. Their credibility is just out the window. I'm sorry. Well, and they hold the expectations that Nebraska fans have against. Nebraska, like we should be embarrassed for wanting to win national championships. But you know what? In my opinion, if you're a head coach and if that's your expectation as well, is excellence, then you would embrace that. 
It's nothing to be embarrassed about. If you have the right head coach that comes here and actually wants to win big time, then they're going to embrace those expectations. They're not going to shy away and run away from them. Why would I want a coach that does that, that runs away from high expectations and gets scared? No, I want a grinder head coach whose goal every year is to win the Big Ten and go to the playoff. That's why would I want a coach with any lower expectations? That's just pathetic. Yeah, I mean, maybe we don't want a coach that's saying that the Big Ten should prepare for us, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, honestly, no, I agree. You have to have, you have to, you can't look a team in the eye and say, guys, I really want to go six and six this year. Let's that's, call it a point set a bowl. Yes, that's what I want to do. I want to go to the, the Clorox Bleach Bowl. So come on. I mean, yes, you. <laughs> The program has high expectations, but the amount of money that is dumped into this university and the fact that we're a profitable university, and once again, look at that list that's ahead of us, those universities aren't profitable. They aren't making money like we are every single year, and they don't have the support that we have every year. So whatever. It was kind of fun to touch on that because I heard that and I was like, what? Rutgers? I don't get it either, you guys, Um, but... I think let's just wrap it up here. Yep. Um, we just want to thank all you guys for listening to the No Block No Rock podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at NBNR Podcast. Um, and also give us a listen on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts as well. And our iHeartRadio. And iHeartRadio. Those are that's for the old folks, iHeartRadio. <laughs> we we embrace the the run the damn ball guys. <laughs> that listen to iHeartRadio. Um, but signing off, this is Jared Hall, Mike Delaware, Eric Morrow, and as always, GBR. <laughs>